Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best life. I'm Michelle Scharf. And I'm Jenny Taylor, and today we are really grateful to have a Gold Star Widow and Navy veteran, Emily Feeks, joining us today. Emily, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this with you guys. Hey, we're excited because you're helping us tell a story that neither me nor Michelle knows. And we were talking a little bit offline about how normally Michelle or I will bring a friend or an associate, a coworker, someone we've known for years. And and we're familiar with the story and we really want to tell it to our audience. And today, Michelle and I are going to be hearing your story for the first time, just like our listeners will be. So can you jump in, Emily, and just paint the picture and background? Tell us about you. Tell us about your husband. Tell us about kind of those early years and walk us through your military service, his military service, and and set the stage for us, if you will. Yeah. So I joined the Navy back in 99. I'm originally from Maine. Um, I joined and took off, ended up going to Japan for my first duty station. Um, definitely was one of those kids that didn't want to be near home. I, it was my chance to explore the world. <laughs> and I did surface combatants for a few years as a rider. I do cryptology. And um, then I became an instructor. And I said, you know, I really don't want to go back to ships. Let me go work for Naval Special Warfare. So I screened. And these are the support staff that go out with the SEAL teams. And uh, wow. sure enough, I got in. <laughs> it was, and then you know, you kind of realize what have I gotten myself into? Because <laughs> you're going to survival school. You're learning how to take a Humvee up a hill on three wheels. You are. It, it's just you going out and shooting on the range, and it's very different from anything I was used to. Um, and I got selected to go to Afghanistan, and after seven months there, in 2010, came back and I met Patrick downtown. Um, he had been in, he had joined later because he had to get LASIK on his eyes in order to pass the test. Um, Cause you have to have good eyesight to become a seal. Um, and he passed all that. And this was his second deployment. He was in Iraq. So we didn't know each other. We were probably in the ready room together at some point during a brief, but. So he was so a cool. seal and you're on this yeah. cryptology support team yeah. with the seals. Okay. I'm just trying to understand it all. Navy world's kind of new to me. So there's a whole bunch of people that work with the SEAL teams that come from a separate command. And we do all the kinds of things that help get them to target. So whatever supports them is our job. Okay. Um, And that's, it was a hard job. It's something that I was very honored to do, Um, but it definitely wears you out. Um, And it's, it's a grueling schedule because just like their schedule, you're either deployed or you're training. Right. If you're back, it's because you're getting ready to go again. Yeah. And the guy that I had been dating before that actually broke up with me because he's a paramedic and, you know, he already had crazy hours and Mm. he wasn't willing to deal with me being gone all the time. It's too much. Okay. So you're deployed. (laughs) Patrick's deployed. You're both kind of part of this SEAL support or he's a SEAL, your support. He was a SEAL, yeah. But you didn't deploy together. No, we didn't know each other. We actually met through a friend downtown. At, um, we went downtown to watch some football and he was there and started talking to me and uh, we just headed off and yeah, when realized, what year was this and how old were both of you? Were you both still pretty uh, young or this was 2010? Okay. And you're saying and downtown. I had just been 30 in Afghanistan and, and he was in his 20s. And you're saying so, downtown. Where is downtown? San Diego. Uh, yeah, that's what I figured. Beautiful San Diego. Okay. Oh, yeah. Love it there. 
Navy life. Okay, so was it love at first sight or was it kind of a process? Let's get to that. I I didn't know if anything was going to come from it. Like I didn't expect anything because we'd just gotten back. And he called me to invite me out on a date. And he says, oh, can I call you back? My mom's on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what guy talks Whoa. to his mom every day? Whoa. So I'm thinking this guy's making an excuse. But sure yeah. enough, he called me back and we went out. And he took me downtown for Indian food because he loved Indian food. And I, I, if you didn't like Indian food, I don't think he would have. Yeah, that was like it. part of his screening process. Yeah. It's weird. And then another date, we went out to the range with friends, a private range, shooting range. And I start sweeping up the brass at the end of the day without being asked. And he told me he's like between that and when I would check on him in sniper school every morning, I would text him. Um He's like, I knew you were the one. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh. So I got to do is sweep up brass, ladies. Hey, <laughs> make that impression. Did you wear pearls and high heels? That's my real question. No, okay, so, I did not. <laughs> just kidding. So tell me, how long did you date? How long until? Obviously, we know you got married. Tell us a little bit about that. Six months. And okay, I was getting quick. ready to redeploy Yeah, to the Philippines. And he had been in sniper school. So we couldn't get a, couldn't go to the courthouse. So we ended up going to Vegas. Yeah, that, well, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just one of those things. And we were planning to have a, a ceremony when we got back from this next deployment because we had back-to-back deployments sure. almost after that. So you're just squeezing in marriage like, I mean, this is almost World War II style. You're just getting married on leave and then headed right back yeah, to the war. Yeah, you're on leave and then one of you is gone. And wow. it's a really easy transition, though, because once you're used to deploying, you kind of innately know all those things to do. Hmm. So, you know, you know to pay the bills or to take care of this or what does he need in the care package or – yeah, it's you've been there, so you know it. Balance. Yeah. But how interesting so, to have both of you deployed at the same time. That's a life I've never lived, and I don't think most of America, even within the military, really understand what it's like to be a married set of military service members. I mean, that's a whole new it's level. Hard. It's definitely hard because I was deployed. I went to the Philippines a couple of months after our wedding. He came out and was able to see me when I was on my R&R in a different part of the Philippines. I mean, when I talk Philippines, I'm not talking... I'm talking, I was in the very southern part of the Philippines, um, living in a hut. Oh, wow. Uh, but I got to fly on my my rest to go up and see him. And we spent beautiful Cebu, Philippines. We oh, spent a, a couple of days there together. And then he came home and I got released early because one of the sites had been shut down. So I got to go home. And we thought we were going to have a couple of weeks together, like a month together. Well, we find out while we're on leave in Maryland for Christmas that no, he's deploying December 27th. Mm. Oh my gosh. Oh my right away. Coming back the 26th. So we're in Maryland. We're in Annapolis. So, you know, you just kind of handle it. We're like, okay, we'll have our time together when we get done with this deployment. And one of us is going to go to shore duty and which would probably have been me. But um, you just kind of, you understand what it's about. Like there's no animosity or worry. It was like, what do we have to do to make sure all your stuff's taken care of to deploy. We have the short amount of time. Um, it, 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 you know, I basically got to spend two and a half weeks with him before he deployed. So then he left right after Christmas. Was that 2011? Yeah. Okay. And- well, he was gone. It was still, yeah, 2010, but December. Yeah. Okay. So the very end. Okay. So this is all happening so fast. You meet this guy at six months, whirlwind romance. You get married. You're both deployed. You're back together again. He's visiting you on a a rest on one of your deployment, you come back together. Now it's Christmas time. You're out enjoying yourselves. You have a couple weeks where you're together and now you're leaving again or he's leaving. Yeah. He's leaving. He again. left. He's yeah, leaving. He just, 
we just said to each other, you know, our time will come and this is our job. And we knew that getting together. It's really amazing. You know, for someone like me, I, I'm not married to a military person. I have no, I, I've had family members that have served, but I really don't know the inner workings of deployment and how that all, all is. And it just seems to me like such a sacrifice, but an amazing, um, amazing that you both were dedicated to your jobs, your country, clearly, and to one another. So it was just, you had already accepted, you knew what you were getting into. And we were very into communication. So anytime we got a chance to communicate, which was pretty much almost every day, thanks to, you know, now things are, you know, you don't send a letter anymore. Sure. Right. Modern you technology. Computer, right. Modern technology. But we would try to talk every day or at least message each other every day. Um, words of encouragement or, but you get to have those conversations. So where you're not having this physical relationship, you're really getting to know each other anyway. Like you're this unit working together. You're just not physically It's a really together. good point. Yeah you're, yeah. you're building that relationship in spite of the distance. So can you tell us what that deployment was like for those, those first few months? Just you were back home. He's now gone. You've got this communication. It's we're- hard for me because I had been in Afghanistan in 2010 so, um, sorry, he deployed 2011. I apologize. This was 2011 that he deployed. I was in Afghanistan 2010. Um, but this is 2011 going into 2012 was when he was deployed. And the hard part was in 2010, I had been in Afghanistan. So I'm well aware and I'm working for a command so I can see all the reports. You just kind of try to be calm. And, you know, um, so he he had to call me twice on deployment. One time was, um, our friend was shot in the neck. Mm. He survived, survived amazingly. I don't know how that happens. Wow. And then our our other friend, um, Dan Crenshaw, uh, the guy next to him had blown up. Most people know his story because you know, with the government now. And so Pat had to call me and tell me that Dan had been injured. And, uh, so you start to get worried and they closed down his site up North. And they're like, we need another JTAC, which is he talks to air combat control. So he helps the planes anytime he has to call in air support. Okay. They needed somebody. And I said, no, you need to stay there. You're not going down south because that's where fighting season is in the summer. And you're aware, um, you're very acutely aware of that. Acutely aware. So, um, but he went, I mean, that was the first time I think we got in a real fight because I didn't want him to go. And he's like, this is my job. And I remember him yeah. saying to me, nobody in my family, everyone in my family has served and no one has been killed. It's going to be fine. Wow. Famous last words. Okay, Emily- Yeah. And it's just one of those things where you say things to each other. And when we get to the other part about that day, it, it'll chill you because it's one of those things. Like, I think part of it was where I worked and just having this innate, like this feeling yeah, that I can't imagine you're still working active duty at home. We're going to take a quick break and then we want to come right back and have you walk us through that chilling day. Hold on. All right, Emily, walk us through that day. Your side, his side. What do you know? So I had talked to him that night. I had just gotten done working with the trainer. I can remember what I ate. Uh, I had a hamburger on the way home and we were talking to each other and messaging. And he said, I have to go out to the helicopter. I said, okay, well, then he came back because they got delayed. Takeoff got delayed. So we talked a little bit more and just for some reason that day, something just, I don't know, but I said to him, I love you. And I said, he said, I love you more. And I said, now go save the world. Just 
Mm-hmm. Our normal thing is like, I'll talk to you at midnight when I get back or whatever mission's done, I'll message you. Sure. So I wake up around three in the morning and the message hasn't come through. I'm like, okay, well, maybe things got pushed. You never know. Can't yeah. sleep, can't sleep, do the worst thing a person can do and turn on the TV. Wow. Um, yeah. So CNN is on and they're talking about this crash and it's a Blackhawk and it's special forces. Oh my gosh. And my stomach just sank. And there's, I still have it on my chat blog to this day, but I was reaching out to him and said, okay, I know you're helping. I know you're helping whoever, like I'm here for you. Let me know what I need to do. And I called my in-laws who are three hours ahead of us because I'm in San Diego, sure. Annapolis. Have you heard from Patrick? They said, no, why? What's up? I said, I'm just, something's not right. Something's not right. And I remember saying that to his dad and his dad said, go to work. It's all going to be fine. So I showered and I went to work in PT gear, which is weird. Cause why would you shower before you work out? But sure. Those motions that I look at myself going through. So I called and how interesting up. that all these years later, you remember every detail. Oh, I can remember every detail of that day. And I, I'm on the bridge, Coronado Bridge, going over to the base. And I call his sister, who is a surface warfare officer, the opposite direction on um, the surface ships in San Diego. And I said, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to have to probably take some medication. Can you come get me? I'm just feeling sick. I don't know why I called her and I don't know why I said it, mm-hmm. but I called her. And um, so I get to my command and I walk in the door and I'm like, everybody's kind of looking at me because I, I must have looked out of it. Sure. And I see one of my friends walking across. We call it the grinder, but the blacktop out back of our command. And she's crying. And I said, okay, well, tell me, you know, how is her? Like, when are we're going to get on the, the plane? We're going to go to Germany. We're going to take care of this. And she just shook her head and she said, he's gone. Oh, my and gosh. I remember hearing somebody screaming and not knowing it was me. So they had to pull me upstairs to my commanding officer's room. I'm still not believing it. I'm like, there has to be some mistake because the final report hadn't even come through yet. So they weren't even contacting the other families yet. Right. Normally we're waiting for you to be home and get a knock on the door and the official notification team comes to tell you what they regret to inform you. But you found out at work because you so I'm feeling like I'm on an island of one at that point like Uh and then they took my phone and they took the battery and then his sister arrived they took her phone took her battery what why did they do that because so I work in a so we work in a a space where you can't have cell phones because you're super high security yeah they wanted to make sure that we didn't have them on us in case we felt the need to text somebody because you can't tell anybody like there's been no official statement it's still not official Oh, yeah. yeah. So his parents haven't Regina been notified. Out, you can't tell his parents. Exactly. So oh, my we're goodness. So we're sitting in my CEO's office, and she and I are sitting next to each other just completely. You're just, there's no, not, nothing I can use to describe it. So I plead with my commanding officer to talk to the Commodore and say, please, like, I know it's not out. But, you know, we called. I called his parents this morning. They know something's not up. And when my phone's not answering. Yeah, that's not going to help something. them. Yeah. So he got permission to call. Um, my father-in-law is a retired Navy captain hmm. and so retired pilot. And so he called him and let him know. And then he went and picked up. But they got back to the house. They pulled up to their house just as the casualty officers were, were coming out. 
So, and then again, we couldn't tell anybody and we didn't know they wouldn't tell us who was on the helicopter. They would not. So you don't know who or how many are involved. You don't know. You have no clue what happened. Just that the helicopter was shot down by an RPG. There's no, uh, nothing like you're, you're just, and you're waiting to, we don't know who's in the crash. So we're waiting to hear that too. Oh my goodness. And so this is what time, what time of day is it by now? By the time you're in Los Angeles, I I was medicated at this point. So, um, they gave me some, some medication to help me calm calm down down a little bit. And, um, I, I remember, I don't really remember packing my vet ended up taking my cats for me. And like the Navy SEAL foundation already had things they started to set up for me. Um, and thank goodness they did because when I packed that suitcase, I don't know what I was thinking. When sure. I you, were, you weren't thinking. You weren't thinking. Yeah. So, and so his sister, I flew out to Annapolis the next day and to be with his parents. And uh, so can you was, can you tell us what those next few days, the funeral, did you bury him in Arlington or, or in San Diego or Maryland? Or can you walk us through those first few days and weeks? We very early on decided on Annapolis. That was, there was no other thought that his parents live in um, Annapolis. So Arlington, you know, in section 60 with the the other heroes and he has friends that are buried there as well. So that was, there was no question about that. It's just very difficult because those first couple of days, you're, the body's not even back yet. So you're waiting there's, you're filling out paperwork and you really don't know what you're filling out. And I was like canceling things and you're trying to get that situated. And then you go to Dover. We were able to drive to Dover. Okay. So did his parents go with you then? Yeah. Oh, we all went together. Okay. So, um, we all went and then I had to make the decision here. I am at, you know, 32 years old and, um, I'm having to make the decision on what color casket I want my husband in. Yeah. Um, and you've so got to decide right time. now and sign the paper and get the documents done. And they wouldn't let me see his body because he had been wrapped up like a mummy. Cause you have just mm. have to think of it as like a really bad car crash. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I could have seen him later, but I didn't want to. Um, I decided to have him cremated and luckily he did get, he has an urn and then he had the full size coffin because they do the stamping of the tridents. Sure. In the top of the casket. So they allowed it. The um, funeral home actually paid for the urn, I believe. So did Um, you keep the the casket or did you? No, everything's buried at Arlington. Okay. So you you had him cremated, but everything's buried at Arlington in section 60. Okay. Yeah. So his urn is in there and I had promised him that I would bring him his wedding ring and a case of Bud Light when he got home. And so I went and brought him his ring and the ring is in his urn with him. Cause I promised him when he got home, he would have his ring. Oh my goodness. So it's in, my mom was like, well, don't you want to hang on to it? And I said, no, I promised it him. He would have it when he came home and it's going to stay with him. That's almost, I got choked up for there thinking about that one. Um, oh my gosh, Emily. I'm crying. And I say you're, you're choking the rest of us up too. And then the rest of the time, the other hard thing was that at 32, we had decided to have children. So um, we were going to try to have a baby when he got home. Mm. So it's just. And that's just pulled straight from the options, just robbed right from you. You're just, well, I found out later, I 
that's a, just another story for another time. But I found out later because I was widowed and he wasn't wounded, even though it's my own um, TRICARE would not allow me to, to do my eggs, like even to harvest because oh, you have to be married. Kidding. Oh, wow. They're changing the rules now. I will say that for, but that's for active duty. They're trying to change the rules, but it's, it's a frustrating place to be. Like, you don't have to remind me that my husband's not here. Like, yeah, I, I know, but this is another kind of slap in the face. It, it just feels like salt on the wound. One more, one more bureaucratic level. Yeah. And I, I mean, I finally went back to work, but. Okay. That was my next question. Did you stay in the Navy? You've buried, yes. your, you've buried your uh, yes. Navy seal You've got, so, how many years yeah. were you in the service at the time he was killed? How many years did you already have? 12. And so did you oh, wow. stay, or are you still in? Can you, I did you hit tired. 20? Yeah, I hit my 20. So I wasn't really getting my life together in San Diego. Um, it was just hard anywhere you go. So my friend Denise, who's a wonderful, she's in the Navy. She's a wonderful master chief. Uh, my friend Denise called me and said, hey, there's these orders in Florida. Would you think about moving? at special operations command. So you can stay within the community. And I was like, I don't know anybody in Tampa. Yeah. But then it's, then I realized if you want to make a change. Sometimes you, you got to make a change. Up. Yeah. Because your brain is just out of it. There's things that I said and did do when you're in grief, it just takes over you. And I needed to break away from that. Yeah. A fresh and to start. do that, I ended up. Yeah. So my mother-in-law, Ginny, Pat's mom, helped me drive my dog, Arrow, and my two cats and everything across country. Just so, literally um, from coast to coast to have a new start. Yes, and I'm, I could be very temperamental, so I felt so bad. <laughs> it's just hard no matter what, but I didn't think I would like Tampa. And you know what? After my first couple of years here, I just fell in love with it. The people are so nice. Uh, the base is beautiful. The weather's beautiful most of the time. Uh, Have you so been in up, Tampa the entire time since 2000? Since 2013. Oh, yeah. wow. And, and when I, did you retire? When in that period did you hit those 20 years? October 2019 was retirement. Okay. So you were there a good six years on the same same base, same yeah. orders? Uh, two different sets of orders. Okay. I went over to Special Operations Command Central, and I was supposed to be deployable again. I was getting ready to go to Iraq, and something horrible happened one morning. I thought I dislocated my shoulder. turns out my, I had injured myself accidentally years ago and we didn't think anything of it. I just had to have my face stitched up because I'd cut my face open. Well, it turns out it had herniated the discs in the back. Oh, wow. So I'd have spine surgery at 37. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and then went, they, they said, you're not deployable, table. ma'am. Yes. So pretty much it was like, you can't wear body armor even when you, you know, Oh wow. so I was like, well, I'm just going to get out. And I ended up getting out with a hundred percent disability, but that's because I have, there were so many other bone issues and sure. um, the spine surgery. Well, I still 20 years. Much. Yeah. 20 years of doing yeah. that. And you're wearing men's, you know, the body armor is not suited for women. It's just made for, so it's, but I was ready to retire. And I thought, what am I going to do? Um, I met my fiance along the way in 2017 but uh also in the navy is he also a sailor or? no okay he is a private school teacher he's a chemistry teacher okay that's like a 180 
Is it not? He is acting. From yeah, the Navy SEAL. Did you hear that? No. <laughs> that no was like, no way. Nope. I've yeah. already lost one. I, yeah. We understand I that, I met right? him and we hit it off. And now we've been together since two, well, January 2017. We went at Gasparilla, oh, which is the it. big pirate. It's our version of Mardi Gras here. Um, okay. It's the pirate. The pirates invade the city. So uh, interesting. Your first marriage, very quick, six months, you're getting married. This one... Um, this is a long, uh, what is it? Four years. Well, you think, you think dating at, first of all, dating after losing the, the love of your life is very difficult. And sometimes you just realize you're not ready or the person's not right. Or the person is jealous of your, uh, dead husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very complicated. It is. And when the right person comes along from the beginning, you know, I was very upfront with him and I remember him sitting in the car and he was telling me, he's like, no matter what, he's like, you know, I'm never going to be jealous of Patrick. And he has it like this. I've never met a person as wonderful as, as Curtis, as far as jealousy, like he has no jealous bone in his body. And he even swims the Tampa Bay Frogman swim 3.1 miles in January in honor of Patrick for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Oh, no, I'm going to I know, I was going to say, now we're both crying. Okay, everybody grab your tissues. All the memorabilia, he doesn't care. I can put Navy stuff or or he'll say, let's put this up somewhere. Okay, so Emily, you are talking to two fairly recent widows here. Both Michelle and I lost our husbands in 2018. And I'm Mm. telling you, I love this. I love that you still love Patrick. I love that Curtis knows you still love Patrick, that you have this beautiful life you had together and that you can still have a beautiful life going forward. We're going to all grab our tissues and come right back. And then we want you to tell us about the last couple years, what you're doing now, plans you and Curtis have, and what resilience means to you. All right, Emily, tell us a little more about Curtis and your life together and your plans together. So we met and... Things just went, I had to get over things myself too. Like I get very scared of things. Like if you're not in contact with me, cause Patrick that day, I just get worried something happened to somebody. I never get worried about him doing anything naughty or bad or whatever yeah. people think. But you've lived through the worst case scenario. So it's easy for your brain to go there. And it is. And it takes a very patient person. That's his other thing is he's patient um, <laughs> to put up with. And also with me getting out of the military, you got to remember we were dating when, you know, now I'm getting out of the military and I've got my own things I've got to deal with um, through the VA. And, you know, I'm also very, I'm a huge advocate for mental health. You know, mental health is part of self-care and, um, you know, it's a big change to get out of the military. And now what do I do with myself? So it was, it was rough in the beginning and then COVID hit. So mm. Yeah, that didn't now help. it's not I'm trying to figure things out. My fiance's at home <laughs> trying to teach remotely. Um and we've it's been an interesting he proposed to me, it's been over a year since he proposed. So it was a Thanksgiving was a year. Um, but COVID hit and it just was one of those things where it did open up a timeline for us to be able to to get a good venue and like think about things. And even for me, I got to think about what do I want to do? Um, I had worked six months for Veterans Alternative just as a free internship, getting to see like uh, very veteran centric health and healing. Yeah. And it made me realize that's kind of like what I want to get. That's where I want to lean towards. Who can I help and where can I help them? Awesome. Not, I don't want to go back to a traditional job. I don't want to be um, a contractor. I worked in windowless buildings for 20 years and I, 
<laughs> it just makes you there, but seeing how much help veterans and families of the fallen need is so huge to me. And there's still so many things to be done. So whether I can find myself working for a day, going to our community food pantry, or I can work at a golf tournament for a charity, I have this open time and this flexibility. Yeah. I was on the, um, the Navy SEAL Foundation. They do the swim here, the Tampa Bay Frogman swim. We raised almost $800,000 this year with the swim. Even oh during my COVID. gosh. Wow. So it's, these swimmers are amazing too. That water is still not pleasant in January in Tampa. Um, but that's where my heart is, is giving back. And it, it gives to me as well. So I, you know, I just try to, to talk about things where I can and, and make sure that people understand between veterans getting out and also the struggles of gold star families um, and how that all works. Well, and you have uh, such a unique perspective because you're both. You are a veteran and you are a military spouse and you are now a gold star widow. I mean, that's such a unique set of perspectives in the same person that very few people in America have. So I can imagine the empathy you can provide the way you'd be able to help others from so many different points of view. Well, and it's, yeah, it's opened my eyes up too that a lot of people don't know the laws facing like whether you're a widow or um, when you lose somebody, how confusing that all is. And on top of that, nobody realized, I mean, there's people there in the beginning and then kind of, you've got to figure some things out on your own and people struggle and they don't know where to turn. And I had to finally open up to other people and start talking and depending on other people and saying like, I need your help with this, or I need, I need you to, to sit with me today, or I just need to take a break. Um, really helped me out with feeling my strength again, having the opportunity to speak my truth and also be vulnerable. Those are all really profound signs of resilience. Those are the platform uh, ways of building resilience when you reach out and ask for help for other people. I mean, what an incredible story. And I'm really sorry for your loss. And um, I'm excited for your new life, though. I mean, it sounds like things are moving forward and that it's positive and you have support and it's great to have a support person who will still honor that young love that you had with Patrick. And that, and it's been a blessing. And also like all my families are connected. So I didn't, these aren't my ex in-laws. Mm. They're still my in-laws. Yeah. I've got to have another set of in-laws. Um, my sister is still my sister. You know, my sister wants still my sister-in-law. Um, they're coming to my wedding. And that's I think awesome. we've also, that's another way because we've seen that grief really rips people apart. Um, yep. No matter, you know, no matter how great your family is or connections, when you go through something like grief, it's just such a nasty thing. It is. Yeah, it is. And you have to take a step back at a certain point or some people don't, but for me, I had to take a step aside. And even from early on, um, Pat's mom and I would talk and we just have, we realized we have to be real about how we're feeling and you know, talk about that, but also how important it was for our family to stay connected because that's what Patrick would have wanted. And to show other families that nothing's perfect. Don't get me wrong. We've had our differences, but 
we're family and that, that that's the most important thing at the end of the day. I love that. I love that you still have a relationship and still consider them your family. And you, you made such a good point. That's what Patrick would want. He is your connection to that other group of family. And just because he's physically not here doesn't mean that that love and that connection is gone. I just love so much of what you've said. I wrote down, um, I love that you talked about the opportunity to speak your truth and let yourself be vulnerable. I mean, I think we could write a book about that and you probably could write it. You should write it. Um, but, but the importance, but the importance, you know, sometimes we talk about resilience and we think it's just this character trait somebody has and they're so strong and, oh, I could never do what you've done or I could never survive what you've survived. But you've given these points where you've got to let yourself be vulnerable. You've got to let yourself feel. And then you've even got to be able to find a voice to voice how you feel, whether it's with your mother-in-law or with a girlfriend or in a journal or however that is. So often we want to be strong and we want to be positive and we want to have like the high road and and look for these great opportunities down the, the future stretch of things. And we kind of try to sweep the hard underneath the rug. Because we don't. It's so much easier than facing it. It's so much easier to lock it away. <laughs> Just like the physical things. Like I'm now going through things that I kept after Patrick passed away. I mean, it could be something like a glow stick for oh, their, you know, for night ops or whatever. And now I'm realizing, you know, a 12 year old glow stick doesn't really work. I mean, yeah. I don't know if it does or not, but things I don't have to keep hang on to. Sure. You can I let some like of those things go. But you didn't and, have to get rid of him on day one. And I think that's okay, no. too. Your timeline is your timeline, no matter what someone else's timeline might be. There's no right and, or wrong way or timing. Yeah, and that, but that's what I tell people, whether it's the physical things or the emotional things or the way that you unpack it and the way that you decide to, I don't I want to say resolve it because I don't think there's really any resolve to losing a person. But um, letting yourself feel and allowing yourself to be vulnerable because it's, you also learn when you go through grief, but when you let yourself be vulnerable to some people, you see that, um, that look on their face that like, that they don't know how to process what you're saying. Like, they don't know what you know, to do with the uncomfortable. Yes. So they feel uncomfortable and it makes you feel uncomfortable. So you don't share your story. You don't say what you're thinking or what you're feeling. And then I think I had an epiphany where I realized that my people are the people that care, or at least try to comprehend and it's, if somebody else feels uncomfortable, I get it. It's, it's a human thing. Then let them feel uncomfortable. It doesn't mean, shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable. Right. You're not responsible for their, their inability to relate or, or be comfortable with your grief. You know, it's sometimes, uh, sometimes there's value in that too, in letting people sit with it for them the values for them you know but you don't have to take it on right and not put up other walls just because someone else put up a wall because I think Emily I think you're right that's what we do someone else gets uncomfortable in that awkward emotion and so they shut down their emotion and then we shut down our emotion and then once again we've just kind of built ourselves into these walls and nobody's really able to progress or it gets locked away or you know we just we pretend that it doesn't exist and I I think that's one of the best ways to help people now is to stop pretending that things don't exist. And even if you haven't been through it yourself or you're grieving and it's not, everybody grieves in a different way. Understanding that it took me a long time though, to, for example, to understand that other people are grieving as well. Um, yeah. That was my, you know, not only strangers, but like, it was hard for me to like, I could see people grieving Patrick, but I couldn't allow myself to feel that. 
because I was going through my own process. Right. But between that and other people, it's, it's definitely, it was a hard road to navigate. Um, but now I just kind of, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, and, and you kept navigating it. And, and for years now you kept, you know, swimming through the emotions or the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows. And I, I think that's what re- resilience is. And that's why we call this show relentlessly resilient. Cause you don't just get to be resilient for a day. It would be nice if we could just say, okay, I'm, I'm resilient and I'm done, but we've got to keep going. And, um, you know, even all these years later to hear you speak with the emotion of that day and to speak with the love for your, your first husband and to know that time, I hate when people say time heals all wounds. I'm not going to lie. I hate it so much because I don't want my husband's death to feel like a wound, like this festering thing I hope to get rid of. I don't ever want to get over having loved and lost him, but I think time makes us stronger. I think time gives us opportunity to have broader perspective, like you said, to maybe how you see adjust things. to the situation. It's how you adapt yeah. and adjust to the situation. That pain never goes away, but your coping mechanisms and your that it grows and kind of changes in time. Yeah, it's not like all of a sudden you just don't care and that loss is erased, but you, we become better swimmers, I guess. I, I do like the um, visualization, I guess it is, where... You have that that pain, and it's so big, and it it feels like it's your heart that that it's lodged in your chest, and it's something you carry with you. But eventually, as you get up out of bed every day, and as you figure out the next best step for you, and you take it one day at a time, eventually, your heart starts to grow to encompass that. And, and I always say that I say the more people you meet to, and that's how I explain like loving Patrick and loving Curtis is that I didn't, he's not replacing my part of my heart that I love right. Patrick with. My heart is growing. Right. That's beautiful. So I feel the same way. I, I feel the same way. You know, I've, I've recently started to date and, um, and I, I understand what you, you mean, you know, when I said, well, that's a long, um, uh, what is it? Uh, a long courtship. <laughs> courtship. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I'm like, where's the word? Um, Jenny, help me. I got you. I, got uh, you. <laughs> um, I, I can kind of understand what you were saying. You were, you were talking about, um, well, it takes a while. It takes a while. Number one, to find that person who can say, I'm not going to let this be jealous of, of somebody who's gone. But for a lot of men, that's really difficult. And, you know, I've been asked that a lot by other men. Like, how could you love somebody else? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I'm going to love the next man so much better. Right? Don't you feel that way? Like, you've you learned. Yourself up, but there's those weird things. Like, here's me um, now that we're getting married. Like, our, my investments and things. Like, adding his name or putting his name on the car. Because my name wasn't on Patrick's truck. So, until the will was taken care of, I couldn't oh. even move the truck. Things, like, weird things that you learn that most people at our age would never... Don't even think about. Yeah. Think about, but going into a new relationship. And he's like, why? Why are you doing... And I'm like, because if anything happens to me, not that I'm expecting it to. But you know how to get your ducks in a row. So I think yeah, it's smart, so there's though. that too, but I, I don't know if you ask Curtis, like if you asked him, like, I, how does, like everybody gives him accolades all the time and he just kind of lets it roll off his back. But if you asked him, like, how do you deal with it? 
he's just like, I don't really deal with it. It's just, that's the fact. And it doesn't affect me. Like it doesn't negatively impact his relationship with me. Because he knows you love him and he knows he loves you. And that can be enough. And people from the outside might not be able to understand that. And that's okay. You don't, you don't owe anybody an explanation or. And some people don't get in relationships again either. And I think that's another thing that with resiliency, I can tell you my mom, she's probably going to kill me for this, but my mom got divorced when I was three, 1983. <laughs> this is a divorce, not a death. Gotcha. But um, my mom, she dated one time after. It was like, not for me. And she turns, she's has her birthday next month and she's over 70 and she's, well, she's almost 80, but she goes out and walks two miles a day. She likes being on her own. Yeah. So you never know. And again, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. I don't know that one's good or bad or better or worse, but it really is the entire grieving process needs to be so personal. And I think we need to give ourselves space for that. And we need to give other people space to grieve differently than we do Mm -hmm. and realize that's okay. Yeah. Emily, this has has been amazing talking to you. Um, I'm really excited for your upcoming wedding and I hope you get all the details figured out and hopefully COVID restrictions are lifted in such a way that you can gather and really celebrate this new union. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for your service to our country for 20 years in uniform and, and your husband's service. And thank you for what you're doing to help other Gold Star families and other veterans Again, from that unique perspective that you have, because we all know that's the help we really need with those transitioning out of the uniform or those who are surviving someone who died in the uniform. So God bless you for what you have done for all of these years, for what you continue to do in the decades to come. And thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right. To our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this episode with Emily as much as we have. Um, We hope you laughed. We bet you cried. And we hope you'll find us on your favorite place to find your podcast and give us a rating and a review. And we hope you'll reach out to us. Do you know some real life stories that people have faced in those challenges and how they've overcome them? You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient. And we'd love to share your story or a story that you know of. And we'd love to hear from you next time and get these stories out there to help lift each other up. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles other people are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.